What's up, everyone? This is Ryan Kramer, host of Crossover Commerce. Again, you made it to my corner of the internet. This is my show where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space, as well as different assets of what that means for you, an entrepreneur. If you're listening, listening to this for the first time, this is episode 139. I go live on our social media channels, but then also we go on our podcast channels, wherever you might be listening to this, to bring the best and brightest in the Amazon. Again, e-commerce, advertising space, logistics space, wherever that might be to help you, the entrepreneur, level your business up. That's what I want to talk with um, my guest with today. So hopefully you can apply those principles to your business moving forward. With that being said, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Now, uh, helping over 1 million customers worldwide in transacting $150 million uh, per day, excuse me, helping now to date over $90 billion in cross-border payments. Ping Pong actually allows people to keep more money when they're selling in international marketplaces, whether it be on Amazon, your own Shopify store, uh, all around the world, no matter what marketplace you might be in, Ping Pong will be able to help you keep more of your money. That being said, you can sign up for an account today in the show notes below or in the comments section, you can just click on the link and sign up for free. Just make sure you mention Crossover Commerce sent you. That being said, I uh, want to again, welcome everyone who's watching this live, or if you're listening to this, welcome uh, for tuning in and giving us a thumbs up for uh, liking the topic we're going to be talking about today. I find the people in this industry very fascinating. This industry, I mean, advertising and marketing. She even said it right before we hopped on today. It's a very convoluted and saturated marketplace, but we're going to actually talk about why you shouldn't hire an outside agency, you should do all this internally and why that matters. If you're a brand that's a one or two person show, you obviously know what viewpoint and what uh, kind of story you want to tell. But if you hire an agency, in my mind, you might be fighting with creative, uh, you might be fighting with a point of view or POV, you might be fighting with a lot of different things and butting heads is never a win for anyone in this business. So that being said, I wanted to bring on Katie White of uh, KW Content. She actually, uh, she's been in the business for, uh, she's run multiple different campaigns, social media marketing, uh, global content, and has an agency, KW Content, developing launch strategies and social media programs for purpose-driven brands. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on Katie White of KW Content. Katie, welcome to Crossover Commerce. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Super excited to be here. Yeah. And being live, uh, I wanted to get your background. Where in the world? Uh, this is kind of like the where in the world is Carmen San Diego in this case. Where in the world is uh, my guest, Katie White? Where are you uh, calling in from or uh, zooming in yeah. from wherever you want to be? I am sitting in the northwest or northeastern nook of the United States in Vermont. So uh, Vermont. I've been I'm play like bingo with all my guests around the world. Like this is yeah. perfect. I'm going to put a pin on it. Yeah, yeah. I've been so. asked more than once if that's in Canada, but it's not. We're just it is not. We're a hey, little border here, as close as it gets. Well, uh, I say Indiana, and everyone looks at me all weird. Uh, that is where I'm located, and I just jokingly say it's in the middle of a cornfield. You don't need to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, no, no, no worries there. But uh, our audience is international. Uh, we we love talking with people. I love specifically talking with people in various aspects of e-commerce. That's my background. Yeah. How do you drive marketing for uh, direct to consumer brand? Then worked in SaaS, now in fintech. But obviously, you are so well versed in content marketing, which yeah. is which is what I do on a day to day basis. I'm so going to nerd out on today's episode. With that being said, tell me about you. Let me uh, let me hear about why you got into this crazy, hectic, hard to get through space, and uh, yeah, why are we here today? 
Yeah, sure. So I started my career at Burton Snowboards, which does not mean much to people who aren't winter people, but um, other folks might know that it's the biggest snowboarding company in the world. Um, and so when I was there, I actually started as a French speaking customer service rep, but I made my way into marketing. I started in just copywriting. Um, and at that time, I was one of the younger people in the marketing department. So when our social media manager left, they were, they were like, Katie will do it. Um, <laughs> and that is how my career in social media started. So um, Because you were the youngest one in your because company? Because I was the youngest one in the department back then, which is funny now, because now I have, you know, 22-year-olds on my team, and I say all kinds of old lady stuff. But um, so, yeah, so that's how it started. I managed a few different brands there, Burton, our women's brand at the time, and on Optics. Um, I was managing those brands across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, TikTok wasn't around at the time. Um, and so it was a really great crash course. Um, and when I moved on from there, I went into the beauty industry, which was quite a shift um, before starting my own agency. But what was really valuable about that was just seeing kind of which principles held from industry to industry, since those industries are so different um and kind of which pieces which pieces change which pieces stayed the same which is you know the fundamentals and the frameworks of what you're doing are largely the same but the conversations that you're having obviously change so that was the crash course and since then i founded my agency in 2017 um we've worked with at this point thousands of brands actually when uh the pandemic hit we had to pivot we we had a bunch of our, our clients were, were pausing or canceling their contracts with us so we launched Strong Brand Social, which is an online learning environment. Um, and so we have worked with over 10,000 brands um, since May 2020 inside of there, just teaching them, hey, if you were our client, here's exactly what we would do. And that's that's been super fun, too. So now we have the two sides of the, of the business that, um, that we're balancing, but it's super fun. So you're managing and teaching at the same time. Correct. Yeah, that's amazing. So so yeah. how so what's more fun for you right now, since you, you've had some legs for the teaching side, but now you're, you've been managing what's more fun for you as a content creator and marketer. You know, it's hard. It's hard to answer because I love our clients on the agency side. Um, but being able to, you know, when I first started my agency, I wanted to work with small businesses. I thought this is great. I'm going to leave this big co corporation. I'm going to work with small businesses. And at that time in 2017, I actually had this day where I remember going door to door in our downtown in Burlington, Vermont, um, just to talk to people, see kind of like what, how they felt about social media, were they using it? And it was like, I was the grim reaper. I, people wanted nothing to do with me um, because marketer, you know, is kind of a dirty word for, for small businesses. And it really wasn't until 2020 that all of these like small brands that I always wanted to help were really in the market for my help. So I've been really enjoying that. And I also have been really just, since I'm a writer at heart, enjoying the process of kind of breaking down the complexity of the field into like digestible sort of comprehensive frameworks and all that. So it's uh, it's definitely, it's a hard thing to answer, but I've been enjoying Strong Brand Social so far, yeah. Amazing, well, congrats on the, I say pivot, like we yeah. all had to pivot right. in one way or another yeah. in this industry, or like just because of like, uh, that that's how small business works, right? I would say you have to find the ways to, listen to your customer first. I would think that would be the first rule of marketing is listening to your customer. Yeah. And the second to make sure that what you're doing is working. If not, change something up because if we're not adapting, we're dying. So uh, that being said, so you're a marketer at heart, you're a copywriter. It sounds yeah. like it, you're an agency, but you said, why maybe not? Maybe you want to build right. social media <laughs> in-house instead of with an agency. So 
ultimately why I picked this topic was the two kind of butt heads where you want, you're telling people not to work with an agency in theory. Yeah. Maybe we'll get to that. We're <laughs> an agency. So, yeah. so what's the, what's the genesis of this topic? If you will? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it's interesting, right? When I started my, when I started my agency, I had this vision, like, okay, this is great. I will consult brands on their content strategies. And then I will consult them on how to execute them because in, in my heart, I truly feel that it is extremely important and more beneficial for a brand to own their social media in-house. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean that you don't work with strategic partners, um, but I think the day-to-day -day and managing that relationship with your customer and how your brand is showing up online, to outsource that undermines your um, your competitive edge and your relationship with your customers. So, but you know, when I first started my agency, it was like, I got literally laughed at when I said, well, I'll create your strategy and then, and then you'll implement it. I was like, no, if you're creating my strategy, I need you to do it. And I get it. Um, that's it's, it's, you know, small brands or medium sized brands, people have, they're just trying to make the best decisions with their resources. But ultimately brands are paying my agency a pretty large premium for the most part to get us up to speed on all the knowledge that already lives inside of their head, right? Like the brand owner, the founder, the marketing director, their internal team knows the customer, the brand DNA, the product, the competitive landscape better than anyone else. And so what I see is that when we're doing that done for you work, you know, the the field is what we're already experts at. You're paying us to get us up to speed on your brand and all of those, you know, proprietary pieces that you're already so familiar with. So that's sort of where the rub is, is that when it comes to allocating resources, depending on where your brand is at, there are a lot of times that empowering yourself to lead that program is probably more resource efficient, not to mention more effective um, than working with you know, I'm not saying there aren't great agencies out there. There, of course, are. But but it's it's really personal. The, the social media aspect of your brand is personification. It's the relationship with your customer. It's how you stand out in a crowded marketplace. Um, so it's really important. Well, I would think that'd be almost a burden on any agency to take on in general, because if you're if you're taking on a client, they have either a product, a service or an idea that they're trying to sell. Correct. Like that. Those are the yeah. three pillars, if you will, for any yeah. business, you have to be intimate enough with that product in order if someone says, Hey, uh, I tried to use this product in this way, it didn't work. Am I doing something wrong? Dot, yeah. dot, dot. And they might be commenting on a social post. You yeah. have no clue if that that product might be in theory, uh, you know, effective or defective in that regard. So you have to actually answer on behalf of the client, and it might be actually wrong. Yeah. Um, but you have to speak and have that voice. So I think it'd be cumbersome for you as an or any agency to really take on. Is that kind of also it's, the nuance of everything? It's true. I mean, our agency, that's one of the reasons why I actually think that our agency probably has some of the best, you know, project management systems and processes set up because I came from 10 years of, of doing this inside a house, inside of a brand house. Um, and so, so those lines of communication and making sure that they're super agile and responsive, um, it's really, really important. And you're absolutely right. It's like we're the we're the front lines. And so it being intimate with the product, being intimate with everything that's happening on the brand side, all has to be baked into what we do. And I talk to our team all of the time of like, 
we are overcoming a degree of separation that really the customer does not want to feel is there. Um, and so those those pieces just become really, really important. And there is, you know, some operational drag there, but it becomes very important. I think if you are working with an agency to make sure that you vet on this in this particular space, that you're vetting, um, you know, for me, I knew it was really important to me that our clients were are paying us for the work they're paying us to do. Not all of that stuff that can happen operationally when you're doubling back to find out things that you haven't gathered beforehand. So the onboarding process should be should not be rushed, even though oftentimes that's a challenge. Um, and making sure that there's really responsive lines of communication so that when customers need anything or have any questions that it, it feels like there's no degree of separation. Yeah. Absolutely. Because they're trying to engage with you in that moment. And that that's both a blessing and a curse now that uh, social media has become this interactive medium uh, instead of like calling into a customer service line and waiting for someone to, to engage with you. You can actually just post a comment out there and to live, but they want that immediacy of a response back. So that being said, is there, sir, do you feel a sense of pressure to have that right and to get it within a certain amount of time? Uh, because I know metrics on pages, they say like responds within, you know, five minutes of asking yeah. a question or, or anything like that. Like Facebook will throw it in your face mm -hmm. on any sort of page and say, responds quickly or doesn't um, typically respond within a day or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it is definitely, there's definitely pressure and it's an interesting place to be in because I think um, one of the things that I've been really happy to see recently is just conversations around, um, you know, social media managers and the actual scope of their work and um, the hours that are expected of them and how that impacts their mental health, right? And all of that. Um, and so for me, I feel like I'm in this interesting intersection of wanting so much, obviously, what is best for our clients and what is best for their customers. And then at the same time, um, needing to create boundaries for the members of my team. So a lot of times I think the answer is a combination and a collaboration between the brands and the agency, right? There's certain times that maybe you need someone internal to handle something or certain hours of the day, or you have, you know, community management teams that are made up of, you know, sprawling time zones so that you can have all of those bases covered. It's definitely like a huge consideration for sure. Right. It's definitely a 24 hour industry instead of uh, our operation hours. You can cost between like 10 and 10 or something like right. that, which, which right. is always nice to know, but is, is that, do we, have we become spoiled as a society where it's a 24 hour industry now? Is, is that a, is that a good thing or a bad thing in your mind? Oh my gosh. That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. What the, them. I know. I don't know what the <laughs> answer is to that. I think that it's, it's like everything. It's a double-edged sword. I think that it's, it's not only great for the customer that that we can expect anything at any time. That's also great for a, a small brand, especially to be able to make those sales at any time. I think that, um, you know, years ago, I remember I was working consulting with a small local bookstore and the Amazon conversation was a huge one. And it was like, well, you know, we we we. Amazon's not going backwards, right? So we have to figure out how we're going to answer that and how are we going to create a sense of service and a sense of community in these online spaces where our customers are, right? So I don't know whether I can say it's 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 good or bad. I feel like it's just the times and adapting to it. And if you can find ways to meet your customer where you are, you're going to benefit. It's a good answer. 
I mean, that, that's not political. I would say it's, I, I would agree with you. It's, it depends on the perspective you're coming from, right? If you're a customer, you want to have that immediacy response, but also as a business, I have to sleep at some point too, or me and my business, depending on how big we are, we have to actually sit down and have our own lives too, apart from what we might be growing. So that, that is truly a double-edged sword, if you will. Uh, you, your statistic that you, uh, that, that kind of, that you shot over before this was super interesting. I want to get your kind of thoughts on this matter. You said, uh, according to its uh, 2020 Forrester report, it said that 68% of people don't think that brands share interesting content. I'm assuming that's customers, correct? Not not the brands themselves. I would hope that they would think that they're sharing customers engaging customers. Brands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what does that what does that say about marketing and where we stand? Yeah. A year, a year ago, uh, in, even yeah. to today. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there is, um, I think that there is a dissonance between sort of, so m one thing that's been on my mind a lot lately, right. Is let's take Instagram, for example, Instagram is announcing they're no longer a photo share photo only platform. Their videos are going after TikTok, and, um, you know, they're dumping, millions, if not more dollars into creators to create content on their space. Right. And I'm watching our small business owners freak out because they don't, they're not content creators and they don't have the capacity to show up in that way. And I think that there's like a lot of confusion around what is good content. And I think that there's a huge focus on volume over quality. And what I have seen with my own eyes, on hundreds of occasions over the past 12 months is small family-owned brands that sell products that have blown up their e-com by 200 or more percent by just playing their own game and posting a few times a week and strategically distributing their content and not getting shiny object syndrome. But I think that the reason why there's so much garbage content out there is that you have social media platforms competing for attention. You have content creators and influencers competing for attention and everyone is just peddling the same stuff. Um, and I made an analogy like uh, the other day about the, the social media industry not being very different than the beauty industry. When you think about it, we're just creating issues that don't exist to sell you more stuff, to sell you more templates, to sell you more courses, to sell you the latest and greatest features, but then we're buying templates as small brands that thousands of other small brands are using. So we're showing up and looking exactly the same when the whole point for us, like strategically as small brands to show up is to differentiate ourselves. So mm -hmm. if we got lost and we focus too much on the advice we're getting to post every single day instead of like the why we're posting and what we're posting, um, and we're living just in the tactics instead of the strategy, which should always just be about your customer's journey and what they need from you and what they need to hear from you. If we're living in the tactics, I think that that's when, you know, customers are seeing a bunch of content that looks the same and it's not appealing and it's not really making any meaningful impact. Um, right. So I think that's where that's coming from. Well, yeah, you have those tutorials that say, uh, you know, this is how often and every other... <laughs> almost what it looks like on your profile versus what it looks like in color scheme and what you're trying to sell and in story versus real versus uh, yeah. post. It's flipping confusing if you, if I'm gonna be uh, honest with you, but it, we were talking about this yesterday mm -hmm. with another agency uh, from the Loft 325. She actually, 
um, was talking about, you know, obviously Facebook and Instagram are at this exciting platform. The point that we were bringing up with, there's so many different off offshoots to be figuring out where your customer comes from. Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, if they're coming and watching your, your story or their, your feed, or again, reels, there's too many different places to really focus your time in the consumer's yeah. time. And then she, she said, the reason why I like TikTok, for example, and maybe this is something that you've been experimenting with, you said, uh, in terms of video is that TikTok only has one locale. Right. It's, it's one hose. It's a lot. It constantly is flowing, but there's only one place that you have to focus yeah. in that area. So is that, is that what's exciting about maybe platforms like TikTok instead of like the ones where you can, you have to ca cast a wider net? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I think so. I think for me, what's most exciting about TikTok is just, I mean, at this point you go on Facebook and Instagram and every three posts is an ad. Um, right. And so the right. user experience is starting to diminish. I, I, that was a, that's a point I hadn't really thought of. I'm interested to see how long, how long that will be the case. I think just the organic, I mean, the sense of community on TikTok because it's mostly organic content at this point, like the ratios, right. It just feels really good. And I think, um, at, and then in that same token, like the real problem with Facebook and Instagram right now is, is that, um, you know, you have people out there that are peddling like organic, purely organic strategies. But the fact is that the average, average pages reach organic reach is 5%. Um, so 5% of your followers. So that's, you know, you have to pay to play, but you got to make it feel organic. I think, um, when it comes to all of those, all of the different places you can publish on these channels. I think it's it's mostly about definitely like we always say deploy deploy your strategy like for 90 days and then look at the data. So for one of our brands, we're realizing that based on the age range of our demographic, they're really not consuming stories as much as another one of our brands that are we have a younger demographic and they're consuming way more stories. So I don't think that that needs to be so confusing if you're just like isolating the data and kind of looking at it. But yeah, I think that is the the simplicity of TikTok is is really appealing right now. The community is really appealing. The fact that it is about content creation, people can't just like outbid each other. Um, is it's just a really exciting time for it. Yeah, it's just the amount of content that they have on their platform pales in comparison to what's out there on Facebook yeah. or even YouTube. Like the amount of data that's getting uploaded to YouTube is is nauseating. It's a lot. Like I, I know all the storage farms or the server farms that YouTube has available and Google has available to them. It's a lot. So there's just so much content out there. It's really tough to, to really make something quote unquote trend or um, mm -hmm. to be, uh, to be watched a lot. But then you come to the place of like TikTok where there's not, it's all organic ads uh, are becoming more of a thing. So that being said, what, is there a, um, so if I'm my brain, I'm starting out, don't have the budget to work with an agency or I'm not ready for an yeah. agency yet in this yeah. capacity. Where am I starting? Yeah. Am I starting on Facebook, Instagram, or is there another tactic that totally so it depends on your target market deep dive, right? So obviously, sorry for sounding um, but so obvious, but like assuming that your target market is millennial age or above, Instagram's gonna be really important if they're skewing older, Facebook's gonna be really important. If you're going after Gen Z, like you absolutely need to be on TikTok. That's not black and white for sure. There are older, you know, millennials and Gen X coming on to TikTok. Um, but but when you're thinking about your channel strategy, those are general general guidelines. I think the tricky thing if you're if you're millennial age range and up, the tricky thing about bypassing Instagram, for example, is that 
these platforms at this point, Facebook and Instagram are in some ways like your website, right? Some folks are going to hear your brand name and they're going to check, like search you on Instagram before searching you on Google. Um, and so it kind of becomes a little table stakes. So for us, we're always starting with, I mean, before we ever talk about channels and platforms, we're talking about target persona, we're talking about our unique value prop, looking at our competitive landscape to see like what's working, what's not. A lot of times I like to open up the conversation of competitive landscape to really bring in like indirect competitors or non-competitors, but essentially industry leaders that you know are have resources to spend on research and um, analytics. And but if they share our target persona, so if I'm in a different industry, but I know you share my target persona, I'm going to look and see what you're doing. So going through that and then really developing the messaging strategy first and, and just like the overarching kind of arc of the conversation that you want to be having with them prior to then diving into platform specific creative. So what about the creative in general? Uh, we, I, I love it when, and I think this is the most like natural feeling you said, you mentioned a couple of times with TikTok feels more organic. It feels natural user generated content. Yeah. I feel like that's what resonates with most consumers. The most is, um, an idiot is trying to do something and then like something blows up in their face and that's funny to people. But when it gets to that polish stage, that makes totally. sense. Like you see something's like, Oh, it's edited. Like that's things yeah. you kind of like, don't trust it at to a certain point. What, what's that fine line for you, Katie? Like if, is, is there a, is there a distinguishing line yeah. that you can't cross? Otherwise it won't, the customer won't trust you. Yeah, it's so funny that you say that because we in our content strategies all the time, we'll talk about like, hey, before you have like user generated content that folks are creating, like your customers are creating, do this to make it look like it. And then your audience will know what you're looking for. So that's funny that you say that. I It depends. It depends on the industry. So um, different industries are going to have different levels of tolerance for like what engages their people um, and the quality of of creative and the production quality I have, have created, I should say. Um, but the the word that I, or the term that I always like to use is like attainable aspiration. So the content quality needs to be high quality enough that it catches our attention. It needs to have enough contrast, right? That like, I can just, my eye does not need to work very hard to understand what I'm seeing. But once it crosses a line into I cannot picture myself being able to create this piece of content, like it's reached a production level that feels unattainable, uh, that's usually when the, you start to see engagement slip off. So are you talking about if I'm filming not on my phone anymore, but I get like a higher quality camera or there's like setup and lighting? Is that is that the look and feel that you're like you're talking about or what's kind of that? Yeah, is, I there, think is there that, any specific example you can give? Well, I mean, I think that reels and TikToks are, are really like the greatest example when it comes to like video content for editing. These like sort of meme video style transitions and editing feel really, I mean, they are attainable there. That's why users can generate this content versus something that like I need editing software, right, to create and it's a higher production value. So I feel like that's the best example that we have right now is that is are those formats so what what is the what's your most favorite form of content to create in that capacity whether it be video um visual blog form what what's the best thing that you enjoy creating and that's resonating with people right now do you think um i'm definitely having fun i'm i'm having fun with reels you know i'm a little bit we 
it's funny because I am a social media consultant that as well does not have the time that I need to create, like to work on my own brand content. <laughs> so, um, you know, we're doing cool stuff, like cool real style recipe videos for clients. Um, and just like more lifestyle, fun sort of reels, TikTok for clients. Um, I was laughing when you asked this because to this day, some of our highest performing content on our own channels are just what we call words of encouragement posts. So they're like five, you can do it. five to ten, exactly. Like the more accessible, the better. We call them words of encouragement. And the idea is that like, they're the top of our funnel. They let our customer know, like we see them. Basically, we think of our people as your entrepreneurs. You're like, everybody's just like trudging through the mud. And like, what can we say to you then and there in that moment to motivate you to keep going? And those to this day, I mean, their engagement just absolutely crushes the reels we produce. They do so, so well. And people just like the crowd goes wild, right? And it's like the simpler, the better. Um, so that's more like the darker the times we live in, the more <laughs> that you need to just like pump people up and you're like, it's going to be okay. This will come out tomorrow. Like, mm -hmm, so really? like you want to go into song and dance with Annie and all that fun stuff. It, it's great. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the more, I mean, I also think it goes to say like what we're talking about with video creative, the more accessible, the better, like for most markets, for most audiences, for most brands, not overthinking it. And um, because I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting rub with creatives. I've, worked in incredible creative departments with incredible creative directors and incredible designers. And there's such a dissonance between the creative that incredible creative departments want to work on and what their audience responds to. And it's right. hard to stomach sometimes because it's like this, like this low hanging fruit, most accessible, took us five minutes to produce piece of content, blew up our account you know, and this thing that we spent like an entire quarter working on just kind of fell flat. It's almost like you have to reset the bar of expectations even lower than what you potentially think is there. It's almost, you don't want to shoot over a, your potential customer or your customer's head constantly. Right. And you're like, what are they talking about? Are we missing something? Right. Uh, almost you want to dumb it down to a point of yeah. accessibility, but that sounds bad. It sounds true. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, it's dumbing it. To, I think it's mostly, it's not necessarily because your customer wouldn't understand a different level of creative if they had time. I think it's really important to think about the context, right? We're all being smacked over the head with mm -hmm. thousands of messages every single day. You up, open up your app, like you're standing in line, you want to d distract yourself for five minutes and we're not even aware of how much we're taking on. So I think it's more that than anything else that unless it's like, unless my brain can make complete sense of it in a split second, I just don't have the attention span because everyone is competing for my attention. Right. What about um, the live aspect of yeah. brains going live in content? So the, this podcast is live, um, but then we repurpose it for like thought leadership and like we break it down and slice and dice it. So um, you're going to hear like different segments of this very episode later on. Um, for people to use it in like 12 second increments or whatever yeah. that might look like. W what about the nature of live and feeling like that engagement from audiences? You see like tens of thousands of people like tuning in, like, what are they going to talk about? Or there's a release of a new product or something like that. Do you have those nuanced? Is that like a, almost like an ace up your sleeve, like you're ready to play it? You have to use it wisely. And then when you play it, it kind of just blows up for a brand. 
Yeah, I think it depends on the brand. Um, I think that for for a lot of brands, you know, you see lives that go viral, so to speak. And, and for me, that means we're attracting new customers through that. I think that the um, the thing that we can always depend on when we go live, just like if 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 we're not talking about like extraordinary events and more sort of what is in the realm of possibility for most brands and businesses is that it's such an important way to continue to nurture the relationship with the folks that you already have, right? Like the level of transparency and the level of, you know, to like conversation that you can have with people and the extent to which you can bring people behind the scenes and build that trust that for the same reasons we're talking about UGC and the same reasons we're talking about accessible content, that just it's not produced and people know what what you see is what you get. I think that's such an important part of nurturing like brand evangelism and loyalty and advocacy is being willing to show up raw, transparently and live and have those conversations with your customers. So I think that it, it always, it, it always can end up leading to word of mouth. And in certain instances with certain power behind certain brands, it can blow up for sure. Um, but more and more often than not, it's just a really important way to continue to show up for your customers and have transparent conversations. And I mean, I think it's where you turn live events or where you, you turn folks from either awareness into first time customer or customer into lifelong loyalist, which is obviously like the most valuable most valuable asset to any brand. Right. How do you, um, at what point is too much content on your mind? Like you're, you're, there's too much that you're putting in front of your customer, whether it be, because not everyone sees everything, right? Like, uh, the rule of thumb in podcasting, for example, is I've heard it. If if I can have one person listen to one of every three episodes, fantastic. Like, or like have a a true loyalty in that regards. So I know that one in every three customers, I'm going to have, you know, Mr. Smith come back and listen to me. Same thing for brands, or is there a metric that you really want to hit consistently? It's the same. If the the most common, especially for brands that are bootstrapping in-house teams, kind of like building it as they fly, the most common misconception I see is, "Oh, I'm going to annoy my customers," um, and I so I don't. So I reach out to them just like once a month or something. It's exactly that. You, it's the whatever the marketing rule of seven. I need to see a message seven times before it actually resonates or before I take action. And I think the other. The other really important thing to remember is that people have different learning styles and different communication styles. So some people are going to prefer listening to this podcast. Other folks are going to really like appreciate that it comes out in a blog that they can read in 10 minutes. Right. So um, for us, I mean, we're sort of like minimum posting three times a week on social. If you can do more and it doesn't cannibalize other activities that should be happening inside of your business, that's great. Um, minimum an email a week, right? A minimum, a couple blogs a month, if that's one of your, one of, one of your channels and like repurposing all day, every day, um, through different angles, different hooks and through different mediums, because everybody has a different, people have different attention spans. They've got different stuff going on every day and they have different communication styles. So it's really important to account for that. Like in, in my point of view, it's kind of like an act of service to be repurposing your content into as many different formats as possible, because your people are so busy, you know, and, and just so inundated with info and, um, data navigating the day to day. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's wild out there. <laughs> I, I always think about it as, think of it as a sales call, right? Uh, when yeah. I used to be 
uh, calling potential customers all the time for former companies, I would say, hi, I know that like, if, if now is not a good time, what would be another time to engage with you in your schedule? Not an infringement on their time because, uh, <laughs> most times when people are naive enough, they're, they're calling and you have your cell phone wherever you're at you're like, Oh, let me, let me just go into my pitch. Uh, I think the most successful people are like, how, how would you best like to consume me? Is now a good time or would another time in your schedule be okay with yeah. not infringing on your moment? And so it's, it's kind of that invitation of when is best for my customer to engage with me instead of, Hey, what you're doing right now, not as busy as what I have to pedal to you potentially. Right. Uh, I'm not saying everyone's yeah. pedaling. So, yeah. uh, is it, is there an, is there a way that you can finesse and create content that's inviting like that or what yeah. would be the best strategy to do that? Yeah. Um, I think that's really valid. I, I think that also kind of ties back into like, I would, I would reiterate what you just said, especially if you're producing original content, if you're just like slamming people with the same templates that everybody else is using, then like, I don't know whether that's value add. Um, but so for us, the way that we, the way that we like to start conversations with our customers of any brand is we think about the customer journey. So for the most part, at the top of our marketing funnel on social media, we're not hitting cold audiences often with like, buy this product now. I mean, it, it depends on, on the price point and on the market. Um, but what we see is like, I like to organize our content strategies, our whole brand communication frameworks around three, three pillars. The first pillar is all about them and the putting the customer at the center of your brand story. And it's finding that mutual ground. So the lowest hanging fruit is like a food product, like spices or something. That's me recipe content. Like if it's, if it's a piece of, I don't know, someone asked me on my Instagram channel, the other day, they had um, like mugs and plates. It's like, okay, place setting content tips. It's that value add. It could be humor. It could be entertainment, but it's something that is going to catch my eye and spark my interest and I'm going to find value from it without buying anything from you. And right. then the second pillar is, okay, here's my product, here's everything you need to know about it. And the third pillar is where you kind of stick all the no like and trust stuff that people say should make your whole marketing calendar, but really we just want it to be like 20% um, where they can get to know you. It's lives like this, get to know the brand better, get to know the personality. And we really, the goal of that pillar is to kind of transition people from first time buyers to lifelong loyalists. Um, and when we have implemented that strategy and drone, like driven traffic based on that common ground, like mutual interest content, we have seen, you know, at global brands implementing this strategy for social media, we see like engagement rates skyrocket. We see click through rates, like go, like go from like 1% to 8% at the top of funnel. And we see average order value almost always go up. Um, because we're building trust based on a mutual interest and inviting people in and saying, Hey, like we did this thing for you and we don't need anything from you. We just want you to enjoy it. Um, and it's a really, really great way to not only warm your people up, but also qualify who you want to retarget to qualify your audiences for a more efficient funnel. What's the hardest one of those three to do? In your mind? Uh, most people have the hardest time with pillar one. I mean, it's, it depends, but that for, most people have the hardest time on like, what's that mutual ground? How am I going to get attention? It, but that is really the content that like cuts through the noise, meets your people where they are. Shouldn't that be an, the easiest it's, one in I, theory? I mean, it's the one that I like. <laughs> isn't that why they're in business? They're like, 
oh, this product sucks. I'm going to create a better product. Like, Hey, look, there we are. Like you're your number one thing. Or I hated when my child's clothes would shrink all the time. Therefore I had a spray on thing where it would, it would stay yeah. in its original size a little bit longer or something along those yeah. lines where, um, in that regards, uh, very, very cool tips. I like those. Do you ever, do you ever tell your brands to engage with your competition at all? Like tag them in something like mutual or something that everyone can rally around or instead of, uh, you suck, like we're better. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think it depends on the, the size of the brand and their place in the market. Um, and it's, it's something that some brands are, are a little reluctant to do. Like I've worked for, you know, big global marketplace leaders that are like, I'm not following my competition on Instagram. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I think creating a sense of camaraderie, I mean, especially within social, it's supposed to be social. If we're all in the same place, it's like the equivalent of, I like to, the, that that same storytelling, or like customer storytelling journey that I just described is very much the same as like, when we used to go to cocktail parties, right? And you want to like meet someone new and you want to like make friends with them. How do you go about that? And so the equivalent of like not engaging positively with your competition would be sort of snubbing people that you know, right? In a, in a social environment. So um, I think like, I think it's a really, really good place to keep your finger on the pulse and also engaging with your competition on social media ultimately is just going to bring their audience back, their eyeballs back towards you. So I'm all for that. Well, this, this is the kind of scenario I always bring out is maybe this is completely wrong, but this is my thought process behind it. It's like buying a car, right? Like cars are the car, same car. You can get it on a hundred different places. Why should they trust that dealership? Maybe it's because your interaction with one uh, customer service person or you like their ad or they're conveniently and close by with you. There's there's all these different nuances why they would choose one over the other. Um, but they're all if they're not going to choose one, you want to make sure that they go with that brand. Or if I'm if I'm Chevrolet, for example, brand co car company, I don't care where you buy it. I want you just to get the best car for you. But if I push competition, you know, they're going to probably tend towards go back to me time and time again. Yeah. no matter where they might buy that car in theory um yeah. you know we're all might be selling similar products or so but if it's not with me do it with somebody else too because in theory we're all trying to help you that's yeah. why services are so important to kind of put that at the forefront tell them how you're going to you know they don't tell you how they're going to help you which is almost the frustrating part is like why is this going to be worth your while like what problem are we solving not yeah. my brain means nothing my my brand is tied to a game, for example, like ping pong is tied to a table tennis game, but why are we different than our competition X, Y, Z? So, yeah. um, I, I didn't know that engagement. I always think like you can do that through humor. You can do that through cost compare, like cost analysis, um, comparative analysis, what you might be doing with us versus competition. You can do it in all these different, like positive and negative ways, or just like yeah. neutral ways. Um, so I didn't know if you had any thing to add yeah. to that, but. I do. That's I mean, I, I think that's a, a couple of things come to mind when you were telling, like sharing that. I think one is that personification, like I'll go back to that, that personification is, is everything. That's why we're on social media. And so giving your customers or prospects to see you flex your personification, not just through the content that you're publishing, but the way you interact with others is more 
meaningful and more impactful than I think most brands realize. It's where like the community manager role, although it is oftentimes a low man on the totem pole is so incredibly important because you can create customers through three word comments, right? If they're done well. Um, and the second is that I think this entire conversation is like, it is true if your brand has, there is a little bit of like faith involved that investing in personification and investing in how you communicate with your customers, even in the smallest of ways will pay off. I think it does pay off if you know, if there is strong alignment between your brand values and your customer, right? So if you don't really have a strong sense of self as a brand, then you also probably don't have customers that necessarily care about this stuff. But if you have a strong sense of self as a brand and a strong sense of values, you are more than likely trying to attract and attracting folks that really do find joy in seeing those those small interactions. And that really does impact them. So I think it's just an interesting conversation. And for me, it's what's really fun about this space. You know, there's there's plenty that isn't all that fun about this space, but these these kind of little conversations and the nuance of personification and all the different ways that you can show up for your people is, is one of the fun parts. So we have Katie White on KW Content. Um, Katie, I'm curious to you, when a new customer's sitting down with you or you know, going through a computer similar to this, what are the things you wish more customers would ask you as an agency if they want to work with you? Oh, that's a great question. I think um, the, I think that the, I guess that what I would love for customers to ask more or be more aware of is like, what should the real goals of social media be? And like, how can we create a content and social media strategy that directly aligns to those goals? I think that so there is so much waste in our industry because people are just like, we need to be doing social media, right? And I see these people doing it this way. Can we do that? And it's just like, it's 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 all over the place. And so I think um, from the moment you start thinking about your content and social media strategy, it should always be anchored to goals and you should always be able to see how the content that you're publishing and the stories that you're telling are directly anchored to one, if not more of those goals and be able to measure success against those goals. Is it, is it important to almost like wrangle in your customers and say, listen, yeah. it's our job to focus on you yeah. instead of what your competition is doing and just to mimic them. Then you're just becoming a copycat in theory to yeah. what they're doing. And that doesn't bode well for either your reputation, but then your customers will also see right through that. Well, yeah. is that, is that ultimately your job is to like, let's do something original to you. Don't worry about them. Yeah. And if you're less focused on the outside, you can focus on more things that make you special and different and your customers ultimately. Yes, 100%. I also think that's like one of the greatest challenges of our field because any amount of competitive research and you're stuck down a rabbit hole and like you're all you can do is look at what everybody else is doing. And so I think it is 100% is it's a really delicate dance of being of, of taking what other people are doing to inform and under and educate yourself on like what your people might respond to, but then like walking away from the screen in order to have like creative and original thoughts. It's something that is, is a huge challenge. I know for small brands, especially that have no kind of separation in between like 
who's doing their community management and publishing their content and who is thinking of who is trying to come up with those original ideas. But in short, absolutely. So maybe looking inward, what, who and what inspires you in terms of like either a company or brand, uh, something in your life, what, what would be that inspiration for you? That's a really good question. I mean, for me, for me, it's, it is all about the small brands that we work with. I think I have, um, a pretty like, for me, when you know, when we first started working with purpose-driven brands, where we felt like I, in a lot of ways, had to like figure out a way to be a marketer that that worked well for me and like my soul. <laughs> and so for me, at first, it was like, okay, well, if we're working with brands that have more, like, have a triple bottom line approach to business, or whether it's like people, planet, profit, and it's not just driving profit, then we can kind of position ourselves as folks that can help make the world a better place through helping like big hearted purpose-driven brands improve their impact on the world and grow the footprint of their positive impact. Um, and so we've had a lot of fortune being able to work with more influential and well-resourced brands in that capacity through the agency. And I, you know, for me, like now what gets me up in the morning is working with, I mean, we work pretty closely with hundreds of really inspiring small independent family-owned businesses that more or less are propelling like you know doing their best to propel a more inclusive economy with decentralized power and like that's for me um that's what gets me up in the morning is just em empowering independent thinking positive impact brands to increase their impact whether it's on their local communities or whatever their community is um that's what keeps me going well, thanks for sharing that. That's amazing talk. Like, is do you apply that to your own your own company? Like, I'm not even sure how big uh, yeah. content is. Is that are you talking? Are we talking hundreds, tens? No, <laughs> no. We how have big about, are we talking? Yeah, ten employees, and and okay. then you know we have all kinds of contractors and that good stuff. But um, so small for sure. Um, and yeah, we think about that all the time. I kind of, I, I am definitely a like big picture thinker, um, loop opener, I've been told. And um, for me, it is like, it is anytime I'm feeling even the slightest bit burnt out, I have to kind of re-anchor and like, okay, where are we going and why are we going there? Um, and as a company that is pretty like insulated in a pretty homogenous state of Vermont doing that work, um, is, is going to be a lifelong project. Um, and so, yeah, so we talk about it all the time. We're always kind of anchored in like, what is our purpose here and sort of propelling inclusive economy and those principles is kind of the latest for us, the latest version. And it, it iterates as you grow, right? For me, the first, the first part was just like, can I create a great place to work? You know, cause mm -hmm. you feel like if you, a lot of people come out of corporate and they feel like they've been, they've kind of been like, either underappreciated or underutilized, right? That's where I started. So you're, as you grow, your mission kind of, I think has to keep evolving to keep up with, you know, your purpose and, and propelling you forward. So what are those chapters look like for you? Like if you had to like, you're JK Rowling and you're writing the the next saga of Harry Potter, like what what's that for the content team and you and the business? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think for us, it's, um, for us, it has been the first, the first chapter was just like establishing a great place to work where me and my first few teammates felt empowered. Um, the second chapter was definitely strong brand social and empowering small brands to see 
to see themselves like empower themselves to grow online. And that has been extremely fulfilling. And I think for me, what's next is really like, how do we, I, you know, it keeps me up at night, the, um, the downsides and the dangers of social media and the field that I'm in. Right. Um, it's, it's not nothing. And so for me, I think I'm really interested in taking this conversation more and more towards community building and business growth by community building. And that if we're thinking about it that way, then purpose, the idea of purpose in our brand becomes less of a, like for some brands, they think of it as a risk. Like if I, if I try to create this impact, but it doesn't sit well with all of my customers, what will happen? But if you're just community building from the very beginning and like kind of like changing the idea from like marketing to community building with people that have the same values as you, then the impact that you're going to be able to have is not, is, is going to be equal to, you know, the growth rate of your business. Um, and the two don't need to be exclusive. They can absolutely exist, um, alongside each other. So, so what needs to be created or what is created for that to happen? Like, is there, do people need to, need to suck less or do is there the tool that needs to be created in terms of like, Hey, we can all like work together a little bit better, a little bit uh, more effectively and, and not be negative in that context. Yeah. I mean, I would like to think that it's, it's small, like brands that are impacting their local communities um, that need to continue to be empowered and need to be content, need to continue to be given the tools that they need to, 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 you know, I think one of the the biggest issues, right, for small, small brands and like when I think about family owned businesses, whether that's one that's like, I mean, we have family owned businesses that are blowing up on Amazon right now. So I don't only mean like mom and pop shops, right. um, but I think everyone struggles with time right? Everyone struggles with everybody is time starved. And so for us, that's really what we're trying to do through Strong Brand Social is I see social media experts who are folks who've had like maybe success growing one account now turning around and being like, you need to be posting every day. You need to be creating reels five times a week, all this stuff that isn't, it's all about vanity metrics and how fast can our followers grow? It's not actually helping this business grow. It's shiny objects. It's keeping them stuck. Um, so for us, you know, I'm not sure I think about like what tool would help these these folks all of the time. And I don't have the answer to that. So my answer is that I just want to continue to help folks see that, you know, when you're thinking about your marketing strategy, be really careful when you're just swiping advice off the Internet. And you need to be making sure that it's customized, like your strategy, your business growth strategy is customized to your brand, your market, your customer, your values, your price point your internal resources so that you can continue to grow and make the impact that you want to have. Well, I love everything you say and I would agree with it. And I would, I would, I would go into so many more topics, but we're already at the top of the hour, but Katie, what, before we kind of like cap off today's episode, if we had to reach out to with you, which I'm sure tons of people will be doing after this, um, hopefully reaching out and following your story or your brands, what's the best way to do that with KW content? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at kwcontent or strongbrandsocial.com if you want to kind of get into our world and see what we're about. Just love educating people and just giving the voice to the small person is what is what I'm getting from this a lot. So do you have do you have a projection for e-commerce? I, I like doing this, uh, like see where we're at in the world. You're in Vermont. You you see 
different things than I do in Indiana. Uh, we're both both in very remote locations. <laughs> that no one likes to like. Everyone's from California or from Chicago or Miami or New York or whatever. Um, what do you, what do you, how do you see uh, marketing and um, <clears throat> caveat e-commerce going in the next, you know, six months, a year, like going into the Q, ending Q3, Q4, going into next year? Yeah. I mean, it's a great, I, I think that it, from what I can see, like it's, it's interesting. There's going to continue to be a, a, a push and pull between massive e-commerce monsters continuing to like grow really fast and the benefits that it that it, it gives to the consumers in the form of like speed and responsiveness and you all I'm also reading a ton of reports about you know how much um how much consumers are continuing to grow in their want for really feeling a connection to the brands that they support um and we know that like marketplaces are going to continue to grow and so I think the improved the improved experience for the for the consumer that's not slowing down that's something that every brand needs to be invested in and thinking constantly at like if you're when in doubt when you feel like you're spinning you just constantly need to bring yourself back to the question of what is best for my consumer um so yeah i guess that's less of a less of a prediction and more of a piece of advice but Hey, we can all use more advice <laughs> in our lives too. So we don't need to look in our crystal balls today. But no, I appreciate that. I think that lots of brands really struggle with that when they when they look at themselves there. They they need to just be true to themselves and why they got in this business. And I think that's the hardest thing to do is want to, like you said, shiny object syndrome is is the bane of everyone's existence. Vanity metrics feel so like good instantaneously, but then also okay. just don't ultimately like result into what you're trying to accomplish as an entrepreneur. So it's really hard to take yourself away from those things and really just keep your nose down and, and kind of keep pushing through and, and do what you set out to do. So um, congrats on all the success and like being able to ebb and flow, like I said, with the business and I'll reach out to you. Obviously I'm following you and everyone else should. And the way to do that, you can obviously reach out to uh, Katie and her team, um, follow them on KW uh, content on Instagram just follow all the cool things, get more information on your, uh, in your repertoire, if you will, for marketing and from her and her team. If you want to reach out, go ahead and do that through there. So thank you so much for hopping on today. Um, you know, it's already afternoon where we are freaking West coast. People are just waking up right now. So <laughs> it's good to have this already done for the day, but Hey, thank you so much for hopping across over conversation. It was a real pleasure. Thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate it. This was fun. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. And again, wow, just amazing, amazing stuff today. I, I love it when, uh, for you who are listening to the show again, this is uh listener again, this is episode 139 of crossover commerce. I just love it when people can talk from a very true standpoint of, of coming from different perspectives. And that's what this podcast is all about. It truly is interesting to hear people's thought processes, building so many different brands in different ways, but being true to those core principles of creating loyalty, making sure that you know what the person is selling, but also just knowing what the perspective that company or that brand represents. So I think that's what I'm going to take away from today's episode. If you have any other questions, definitely reach out to me on social media. Again, you can do that on Instagram. You saw that handle down below, or you can reach out to Katie um, and her team at KW Content on Instagram. Thank you so much. This is, again, my corner of the internet. Call it crossover commerce. We talk all things Amazon, e-commerce, marketing, logistics, you, you name it. We're probably going to touch on it for sure. Tomorrow is no exception. We're going live again on our YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn pages. And you'll be able to listen to these again on all the podcast destinations you can possibly ever want. Um, 
That being said, we'll catch you guys next time on episode 140 of Crossover Conversation.